This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I want to start off with a little memory game. Um, I'm going to share a little story with you guys, but first I want you guys to close your eyes. And think of a time when you really, really wanted something. Maybe it was um, a toy when you were a kid. Maybe it's something recent that you've been working towards. Okay. Now hold on to that memory, okay? We're going to come back to that. Um, When I was around six years old, my parents brought me on the whole a thousand islands trip thing, cruise thing. I don't know. I'm from the GTA. <laughs> In the greater Kingston area. Do you guys call it that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and so when I was on this little ship, I saw the souvenir table, and I saw these beautiful postcards, and I was like, wow, I want one of those. Now, keep in mind, As a six-year-old, I did not have much money, but man, did I think I was loaded. I thought I was balling because my little change pocket was full of pennies. And now I'm dating myself here, right? Way back in my day when pennies were still in currency, right? Way back in my day when our bills didn't look like Monopoly money, right? Um, And so um, I had actually never bought anything. So this was my life savings in here. There's probably like a buck 20 in there. Like, let's let's be real, 120 pennies. I earned that from like little chores around the house. And um, I remember walking up to to the cashier and just dumping all of my pennies onto the table. And poor cashier, he was just counting one, two, three, four. You know what? This looks semi-accurate. I'll take it. Hands me the postcard. But man, when I got that postcard, I was so ecstatic. It was so worth my life savings pouring it all out in that moment. But looking back on it, do I even have that postcard anymore? No. Does it hold any value to me? No. And do I look at that $1.20 and think, wow, that was so much money? No. And it's because I actually have a bigger perspective than I did then. Today we're going to be talking about... um, the value of things, and um, where our priorities should be. And so um, we're going to look at a story from Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 16. And it's called The Rich Young Ruler. A lot of you guys have probably heard this before. um, But if this is your first time, get ready. So before this, just some context. Jesus has been teaching to the crowds He's been sharing all about the things of his kingdom, all of the values of his kingdom. He's been teaching them about kingdom culture, much like what we've been doing for the past 12 weeks of going into this revival series, of wanting to see heaven break out on earth, wanting to see the presence of God break out, not just in our homes, but in our schools and in the city. And so he's teaching on all of these values about loving your neighbor and... um, Yeah, just getting back to the heart of it, which is love. And um, these children were actually surrounding him, and he was putting his hands on them. And these children really got it. They got it, right? Jesus teaches that that we're supposed to have childlike faith like that. But then this rich ruler comes up, young, like me. (laughs) Um, and And he talks to Jesus, and he's like, Teacher, what good thing shall I do? 
that I may obtain eternal life. And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. Ooh, God is moving. Um, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Listen to that one, young adults. <laughs> and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? There's something that is still missing. And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard the statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. See, this young ruler had actually asked the wrong question. I mean, yes, eternal life is something that, that God wants to give us. Like, for God so loved the world that he gave his one begotten son so that we can have eternal life, right? Right? That's God's desire for us. But he was asking about what good things shall I do to get this good thing? But then Jesus' response changes it from the what to the who, because there is only one who is good. And so often, even as we enter into our walks with the Lord, we get more concerned with the what and forget about the who. See, our desire to do what is good and gain what is good can actually distract us from the one who is good. And even within this concept of revival, of wanting to see God's hand move through our city and within our lives, doing what is good is, is awesome. Like praying and fasting and reading scriptures and serving at church, like that's God's heart. It's all good. Um, and often it, it becomes our, our focus. It becomes the thing that we just do because what are we working towards? We want to see healings. We want to see salvations. We want to see people know God and give their lives to Jesus. And that's awesome. We should want all of those things. Yet somewhere along the way, we get more concerned about all of the works of God and forget about actually just locking eyes with Jesus. See, revival dies when revival becomes religious routine. The only way to sustain revival is to sustain relationship with the one who started revival. Revival was never about the what. It was always about the who. Revival is about Jesus. See, there's been so many other moves of God where God has done such other cool things in, in churches. And, and it's been refreshing. And, and people have realigned their hearts with Jesus. And then suddenly, after a couple of months, it just goes dormant and it stops. And suddenly, it just becomes routine and religion, and it's just the same back, and it just cycles like that. But what if we could be a church? What if we could make a choice as followers of Jesus to actually follow Jesus and be less concerned about the what? See, if we believe that doing good and gaining good things is the good news, and that's what makes the good news good, then it's not going to be a good, good enough. The rich young ruler thought he was already doing good things, but when he was asked to give up something that took priority in his heart, such as selling his possessions, his concept, which was wrong, of the good news and what made it good, fell short. 
and he decided that it was not worth it. He thought doing all of these good things was not worth gaining the original good thing that he wanted, which was eternal life. He thought that the prize of gaining a good thing was not worth the sacrifice. And when we make doing things and gaining things our priority, we automatically start to grow weary and grow tired and lose heart. Why? Because Jesus is the one that gives us rest. Right? The only way to keep on going in this lifetime, the only way to keep on living a radical life of, of serving people and loving people well is to actually be going to him. See, if you're coming to church every Sunday simply because you want a good thing, simply because you want that spiritual high, you want an experience, you want to be happy, then I have news for you. Eventually, you're going to realize that that is not good enough. Because when Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday hits, it's going to be hard. See, eternal life, what even is eternal life? Is it just, is the benefit of that that we get to live forever? Is that it? Or is the benefit of that that we get to live forever with Jesus? That we get to spend the rest of our lives, the rest of eternity, knowing Jesus? So what's the solution to all of this? What's the solution to, to, sustaining, to sustaining revival? It's actually loving the good news, waking up in the morning and loving the good news and wanting to share the good news because we know the one who is good. And we can only know that by actually doing what Jesus instructs, which is come and follow me. See, that right there is what this young ruler missed out on. That is the true loss. See, he recognized the fact that he was lacking something. And Jesus told him what would complete him. Jesus is always worth it. Jesus is the one that brings completion. He fills the lack. It was never about the what. It was always about him. He is the answer. And this rich young ruler cared too much about what he had and what he had to give up, so much so that he missed out on who he was invited to discover. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Um, this story of the rich young ruler occurs again in uh, the Gospel of Mark. And so Mark gives another account of this story. And um, I love this additional part that Mark throws in that Mark observed when he was watching this all happen. He says that before Jesus answered the young ruler's question, looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. And then he spoke. Do we realize that when we actually set our eyes on Jesus, we're looking at someone who loves us? Whether we choose him or not, he loves us. A love without condition. See, the good news is always good enough when we know the one who makes it good. Philippians 3 verse 8 to 10 um, says, but whatever things were to gain to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost um, in the view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, like following all those rules, like what the young ruler was talking about, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. I love the Passion Translation. Um, And so I'm going to read the passage through that translation. It says, To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord in all of his greatness. My passion is to be consumed with him and not clinging to my own righteousness based in keeping the written law. My righteousness will be his based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus. I love that, the wonders of Jesus. More fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I want you to close your eyes one more time. I want you to think about someone that you really love. And right beside that person, I now want you to think of that thing that we talked about earlier that you really wanted. Maybe it was a toy or a dog. Maybe it was a job. Maybe it was a relationship. What if I told you that you had to choose between having that thing or keeping that person? Would it not be a simple decision? You guys can open your eyes. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you've been walking this walk for a very long time. Maybe I feel like that, that in itself is like Christianese. Maybe you've been a Christian for a very long time. Maybe you gave your life to Jesus many, many years ago. Or maybe you're sitting here today for the very first time and have never made that decision. Or maybe, maybe you're in a place where you've heard this all before. You've heard the gospel shared. You've heard all about the good news. But you know what? There's something in your heart that says it's still not good enough. Maybe you've gone through experiences that have created a callous in your heart towards God. Maybe you're angry at him. I think that there's so many things in our lives that can affect how we view Jesus. Yeah. Even for for the people here who have been a Christian for so long, I think that there's still so much for us to learn about him. Is he not God? Do we not need to see him more clearly? Have we forgotten how great he is? What makes Jesus worth giving up everything to know him? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? We can't forget who he is. First John 4 talks about how God is love. Jesus is love. Jesus is the perfect expression of God's love displayed on a cross for us. Why doesn't that blow our minds anymore? Why doesn't that amaze us anymore? That while we were still sinners in our junk, in our crap, in our... Yeah, in our wrongdoings, in our anger towards people, in our bitterness and resentment, he still loved us. 
and said, I want him. I want her. See, Jesus is Savior. He's your help in times of need. Jesus is also resurrected king because he didn't stay nailed to that cross, right? Yeah, he rose again so that we could take part in this resurrection life and live lives of abundance and experience the healing that he paid for with those stripes, right? He is glorious father, Lord of lords, prince of peace. But he's also friend of sinners, and I feel like this aspect of Jesus gets lost, especially in things like revival, right? Like, we, we want to see power, we want to see authority, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But we forget about humble, meek Jesus, who sat down with prostitutes. Prostitutes. When was the last time you sat down with a prostitute? Who sat down with the outcasts of society, the tax collectors, who no one wanted to talk to because they were thieves. Walking down the road, he saw Zacchaeus. Little Zacchaeus, probably made fun of by, by so many people, hated because he stole from people, and he called him out by name, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, I'm going to your house today. I'm going to enter into your life. This is the character and nature of Jesus. When everyone was turning kids away when, when he was teaching, like, oh, they're just a waste of time, throw them to the side. No, Jesus said, welcome them. Become like one of these. This is who Jesus is. Are you not amazed by who Jesus is? So you might be asking the question right now. Okay, I get it. Like we're supposed to realign our hearts with the Lord. We're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. But what does that really mean? How do I throw off what hinders? How do I fix my eyes on him? I think the perfect example is actually given in Genesis 22. And it's um, the story of Abraham offering a sacrifice up to God, which was his son, Isaac. Um, If you've never heard this story before, um, basically Abraham had been chosen by the Lord, and the Lord had poured out promises upon promises to him. Um, At this point in the story, uh, Abraham was living the abundant life. I mean, he was living like, like a rich old ruler. <laughs> uh, he had so much territory. He had just gotten a well back. Like, that's pretty sweet. And like me some agua. Um, and, um, and not only that, but, but he had gotten the one thing that, that he truly desired, and that was a son. Yeah, after being barren for so many years, him and Sarah, the Lord blessed them with a son. And so at this point, he's living in his promised land, Right? He's living the abundant life. He's living, having everything that he, that he desired. But then a voice that is God's called out to him and said, Abraham. And what was Abraham's response? Here I am. After that, God gave instructions of, hey, I want you to go and take your son up to this mountain and I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice to me. I mean, what would be going through his head in that moment? Like, what do you mean, God? Like, this is the one that you promised to me. This was your gift to me. This is my answer promise. And you're asking me to kill him, the one that I love so dearly. 
But his response was, here I am. And he went forth with this. This one kills me, though. Oh. Walking with Isaac, his son. Isaac looks to him and says, my father. And Abraham looks at him and says, here I am, my son. Here I am. And he said, behold the fire and the wood. We have it all. But where's the lamb, right? Dad, do you actually know how to make a sacrifice? There's no animals here. (laughs) But Abraham just says that God's going to provide. And then as Abraham goes forth, he he sets up his altar. And an altar is where where the sacrifices take place. And so he's setting up all of the wood, ready to, to do this horrible act because he loves God. And... There and behold, a voice comes from heaven. It's, it's God speaking again. Abraham, and what's his response? Here I am. God goes on to say, no, no, no. Thank you. I just wanted to test your heart. Thank you. Thank you for being willing. But let me actually supply something else. Let me supply this, this ram for you to sacrifice instead. But why do I bring up this story? Because I actually don't think that Abraham making the physical altar and, and putting his son on it was, was just the end-all, be-all. But I actually believe that Abraham was building an altar in his heart with every time he said, here I am. Because those words reflected a posture of the heart. See, before God even asked him to do anything, here I am. It's not here I am going, here I am called to do, here I am a father, or here I am a a wife, or here I am as a Morgan. It's just here I am. All of me, my heart motives, my feelings, my thoughts, here I am, God, right before you as a living sacrifice. See, Abraham was actually living out New Testament principles in the Old Testament. And when we come to see Jesus for who he is, there's a call to respond. We can be like the rich young ruler and say, actually, giving up the very things that I love most, that, that doesn't seem like enough. But then if we do that, we actually miss out on knowing him, which Paul claims is the best thing ever. <laughs> That everything in comparison to knowing Jesus is rubbish, is lost, is garbage. Is knowing Jesus just knowing about him? Knowing these facts that, that I've talked about, about, oh yeah, he, he talks to Zacchaeus and he hangs out with prostitutes. and is, is that all there is? No, why? Because we have the Holy Spirit now. Jesus left his spirit with us. Jesus even said that it's actually better that I leave that you guys can have the Holy Spirit, that you can have my advocate. So now we can actually encounter Jesus daily. This is how the good news never gets old, when we are constantly experiencing the good one daily. Not once a week at church, but daily. And from there, that's where we're going to see the most beautiful miracles break forth because they're not rooted in religiosity. They're rooted out of love. Love for the people around us. 
I mean, what good is it if, if honestly, it's awesome if someone gets healed. That's, that's awesome. If you were here last week, like 10 people got healed. It was crazy. God is working. Awesome. But like, what good is it if someone gets healed, but they never come to know the healer? I mean, if we're talking about like grand eternal perspective here, what good is that if, if they end up losing their life? Right? When I was 12 years old, my life completely changed. I very much resonated with the rich young ruler story in that as a 12-year-old, I had, quote, unquote, the American dream. I had everything that, that I could ever want at that age. You know, popularity at school, teachers that loved me, good grades, sports teams, you name it. It was all good, financially stable home, family that loved me, awesome. And I came to a place of brokenness even amidst that. And at this point, I didn't even believe in God. I didn't even believe he was real. And I fell into this huge depression. Like, what's, what's the point? Does any of this even matter? If I'm so unhappy as a 12-year-old who's set up for worldly success, then who's to say when I'm 25, when I'm 21, that I'll be happy? And I found myself in this place of suicidal thoughts of just like, ah. Oh, if this is all the world has to offer, do I even want to be a part of it? Do I even want to take one last breath? God met me in that moment. If you want to know the details, you can come and ask me another time. But, but God met me in that moment. Actually, I'll share. <laughs> while we're here, while you guys are sitting and have to listen to me. <laughs> Um, I was in my bedroom and I was on my knees crying and um, I had this issue where I would start physically shaking and wouldn't be able to stop and um, it was this horrible feeling that, that of, of just hopelessness and it was for no circumstantial reason like I told you like I had a good life this was not triggered by anything um, and I, I physically couldn't stop shaking and it was it was so awful, and I remember looking out the window um, and just seeing birds flying. And, like, I, if you know me, you know I'm a pretty artsy person. I like poetry and painting and, and nature and all that good stuff. And, um, and a part of how I understand God now is through the beauty of creation. But I remember looking out the window in that moment and seeing those birds flying, and it's a beautiful summer's day, and just thinking, wow, I can't see beauty in any of that. I can't. What's the point of living? And I remember just seeing those birds and thinking, oh, I just wish I could be free like them. I feel so trapped right now. So trapped. So stuck in this, in this mess, in this depression. I don't even know how to tell people about this because I'm 12 years old. What are they going to think of me? And then I, I came to this really suicidal place where I was just like, okay, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill myself. But I should probably make sure that my... Decision is not based on emotions. I want it to be based on logic. I want to make sure that 100% there's nothing worth living for. And so I cried out to a God that I didn't know. I grew up in a Christian home, even went to a Christian school, much like KCS, but still didn't believe. Um, but I said, okay, maybe this is true. Maybe the parents know something. <laughs> maybe. And so on my knees, I cried out to God. God, I don't even believe you're real. But if you are, 
if by any chance there's any meaning to my life, if by any chance there's any meaning to any of this, God, please give me something. At that moment, I opened my eyes and I saw something that I hadn't touched in probably years, um, a Bible that I received from my Christian school lying in the corner. So I went over to it and I opened it up randomly to Psalm 55, verse 3 to 8. I should probably have this memorized. I'm just going to try for it. <laughs> and this verse basically explains all of the feelings I couldn't put into words. And it, was, it basically said, Fear and trembling have beset me, the trembling, the shaking. Terror has overwhelmed me. The fears of death assail me. For me, that was suicide. Oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would fly to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and storm. And at that moment, I heard the closest thing to the audible voice of God that I've ever heard. I just heard, Morgan, right now you want to fly away from the storm to your place of shelter, but do you not know that I am your shelter in the middle of the storm? And at that moment, the presence of God just fell on me head to toe, 12 years old. And all that physical shaking just stopped immediately. Hope restored, life restored. Suddenly my life had meaning. Well, God is real. And so I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you've never had an experience. Maybe you've never had an encounter with God. But today, I truly believe that God wants to encounter you, that God it has been pursuing you, and it's not by accident that you're sitting here today. Here I am. I believe that Today is a day where there's an invitation to everyone to build an altar. I don't know about you, but I can't say that Jesus was the center of every second of this week. He wasn't. I got preoccupied with other things. I valued other things over him. Forgetting that this is the Jesus who had a joy set before him when he endured the cross. And that joy was me. That joy was you. I mean, imagine that. The people that, like today's Palm Sunday, right? So people would have been like, wow, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like these people claiming to love him. And then soon after, these same people were the ones spitting on him ridiculing him as he approached the cross. And he looked at those people, he looked at us and said, well, he didn't say this, but I'm sure he thought, I love them. I love them. This is why I must endure the pain. I love them, I love them, I love them. I wanna see them know freedom. I wanna see them know the Father, so I will. Here I am. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.